for the sake of our guests, we are we're making our way through the book of James. I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of James as we, uh, as we make our way verse by verse through this, this excellent and dynamic book. Um, this morning, this is a real privilege to be able to just take time to focus on just three verses in the book of James. And, um, you know, I want to I wanna share something that uh, this week as I was preparing... Um, Preparing the, the word, um, I just had a sense that, you know, this was a difficult, this was a difficult word. Um, James is such a pastor. James writes with no, no fluff. He just cuts right to the issues with incredible clarity and forthrightness. And um, I was... I was convicted about my speech this week, and, um, and I pray that the Lord uses these words uh, of his to help us to grow into greater Christ-likeness as a church body and as individuals. So let us humble our hearts and ask God to, to help us to hear what he wants us to hear this morning. It may not be the exact same thing that he was speaking to me this week, but I, I pray that God would use this word to help us to grow and be more like him. Because that's what he does. He, he loves to do that. Um, I'm starting at verse 10, reading through verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy But who are you to judge your neighbor? Lord, we ask in this moment that you would help us to see ourselves clearly. And we pray that you would help us to see you clearly. And Lord, I pray first for my own heart and then for the hearts of my brothers and sisters here for the gathered church, that you would have your way in our hearts as we look at your word this morning. Fill us with your spirit. Illuminate this text to our minds and to our hearts so that in greater measure, people will see Christ in us. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you remember a time... When someone said something to you or about you that had the effect of an amazing lift on your soul. Can you remember a time? Maybe the praise of a coach or an encouraging word from your parent or the commendation of your boss. 
uh, something that they said either to you or about you, which got back around to you, it just had the effect of lifting you up and making you feel like, man, I can do anything. You know, that's the power of encouraging words to, to carry us on. Sometimes all we need to persevere in a difficult time is one short, small, encouraging word. And we've probably all experienced those joyful moments when when someone commends us or someone just calls to mind the grace of God that's at work in us and we are truly and deeply encouraged. We all probably have experienced that. At the same time, have you... Have, could you recall, uh, have you ever spoken words about someone else and immediately you sensed in your heart that it was wrong to say it? You realized that your words were damaging, even maybe just slightly, and it was damaging the reputation of the person about which you were speaking. And then you realized that as soon as the words left your mouth, there was no way for you to take them back. And perhaps you also realized that the words that left your mouth would likely continue to do damage after they left your mouth. We've probably all experienced that too. And James, with the heart of a pastor who, who again loves his people, he's not looking to condemn here, but is looking to speak truth and love to the congregation, to the body. He writes with this heart of a pastor and with the the skill of a surgeon's scalpel, he addresses God's people forthrightly and honestly and truthfully about our speech. Now, if you take a survey of the entire book of James Roughly about 25% of what James talks about in this book is directly related to our speech. I mean, almost all of chapter 3 is about our speech. Chapter 4 is largely about our speech. There's, there's, you know, roughly about 25% of the book is, is consumed with this topic of our tongue. Um, James says in chapter 3, verse 8, he reminds us, these are his words, not mine. He said, the tongue is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. And I want to remind you, by the way, when he says that, to whom is he addressing this letter? Is he writing to people who do not know God? No, he's writing to people who are new creations in Christ. He's, he's declaring that to them. Like, by the way, you are a new creation. At the same time, your tongue still has poison in it. The ability of our mouths to speak in ways that, that kill or destroy are, are very real. And so he's saying if our, if our tongues are not submitted to the Lord, then, then they have great ability to do damage. The mark of a growing and maturing Christian is one of the marks, I would say, is the increasing ability to speak and to have our mouth be under the control of the Lord. This is why he says at the beginning of chapter 3, not many of you should presume to be teachers um, because those who talk a lot, those who talk a lot will be judged with a different standard. 
And so not many of you should presume to be or take this task of being a teacher because, number one, it's hard to control the tongue and we will be called to give an account for every careless word that we speak. And so since this is a universal issue, um, all people struggle with the tongue. He, he goes after it again and again and again. So this is, um, this is the fourth message you've heard in this series on the tongue. Uh, again, we're not inventing the topics. They just are what they are. And so what does that mean? That, that God cares deeply about our hearts. Because again, uh, the tongue is simply the overflow of what's happening in here uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So God is, God is concerned, Grace Community Church, about our hearts. He's the one that brought us to this text and, and to go through the book of James. And so he's expressing his love by helping us in these Sundays to pay attention to our hearts. If I were to summarize the main point, the main teaching of what I think James is after here, he, he states it in uh, the negative. I'm going to inverse it and state it in the positive. So the main point, uh, I think, of these three verses is this. Humble yourselves and speak the truth in love to one another as is fitting for building up. Let me say it again. Humble yourselves and speak the truth in love to one another as is fitting for building up. Let's read the first sentence again in verse 11. If you would look there in your Bibles. Do not speak evil against one another, brethren. Why is it important that he puts brethren there? Well, it's because he's reminding the people to whom he writes that you are the people of God. You are the family of God. We should be loving one another. But he says, do not speak evil against one another, brethren. It's, it's more easy than we think to speak evil against one another. It can be done sometimes behind other people's backs. It can be done in ways that we think is fairly innocent and unintentional, but, but we can speak evil against one another. And if, if that weren't the case, he wouldn't be addressing it here. Again, the church is there and, and this is a real issue. So this, he could be referencing gossip or slander or a number of other forms of speech. What does it mean to gossip? Let's review. To gossip means to share information that may or may not be true, but puts another person in a negative light. Gossip is particularly enticing by feeding our inner ego because by its nature, we are putting someone else down, even if slightly, so that in the estimation of the hearer, we rise while that's happening. So that is the particularly enticing nature of the sin of gossip. What is slander? Slander is bearing false witness against somebody else. Uh, telling something that is simply not true with an intention to tear down or again to put them in a negative light. Slander is a bit more cut and dried because slander always contains a lack of truth, whereas gossip can be challenging because sometimes we can pass on information and we think that we're doing it from a vantage point of, of real care. And that's always possible that we may be 
passing on information uh, because we truly care. And there are, there are occasions when that actually is necessary. But so often when we actually stop and think about the words that we communicate, sometimes we are guilty of sharing things in uh, just a negative light that puts a cloud over a brother or a sister. And to that, James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The book of James, as we've said over the past number of weeks, it's it's like uh, likened to the book of Proverbs. It's also kind of like the, the Sermon on the Mount in, in a lot of its teaching. Um, the book of Proverbs, in fact, likens speech of this kind to uh, the, the words it uses. This is like delicious morsels. In other words, it's an enticing form of speech that falsely promises to delight those who yield to it. But it never actually brings delight. In fact, it's like sand in the mouth because of the damage that it does. This kind of speech could be uncharitable or critical speech. It could be harsh words. It could be insults or sarcasm or ridicule. Any speech that is intended, even, even subtly or slightly, to tear down or to, to, uh, to put someone in their place. The speech of some in the church in, in this place, in, in James' time, they were actually tearing down the body of Christ, which is why God, who inspired his words, encouraged him and, and charged him to write this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, we see this in his letter to the, the, the church in Corinth. I mean, first and second Corinthians, there's a lot about speech there because they were tearing each other down. Um, in Peter, he's writing to, to a church and, and I have this quote for us. He says, so to the church who he says, you, you are the, the people of God. You're the chosen race. And, and he says, oh, this is to the church of God. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. And all slander at other places and other epistles, we see this issue repeatedly throughout the New Testament. So, so my question to you this morning is, if that's true of New Testament times as the church is getting off the ground, if it's true then, it's likely to be true that it needs to be dressed in, in my heart today and in your heart today and, and in God's kingdom in fact, I, I failed to mention an earlier reference. Let me read it. This is from Leviticus. This is what God said to his Old Testament covenant community. He says this, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So God is building something, you know, just stepping back from the pages that we're on. In the Old Testament, God is building a covenant community, a people for his own name and possession. And he's giving them instructions on how unity among the people of God should look. And in order for unity to prevail in the people of God, there must not be slander. There must not be malice. There must not be this speaking of evil against one another, even in what we might consider to be small or, quote, innocent forms. This is important for the church. 
This is important because God has redeemed us as his people to enjoy fellowship with one another, that, that we might come together to be encouraged. You know what I prayed this morning? This isn't to exalt my prayer. It's simply a prayer in my heart as I was driving from the church office over to, to here today. I was asking the Lord that for every person who walks in the door today, that they would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that they would be able to see and experience the love of God in new ways. That's why we gather, to encourage one another, to exalt the Lord, yes, to honor him and obey his word, but ultimately to be a, a, a community, a body that he has ransomed for his glory, that we might speak the truth to one another in love. That when you hear from your brother or sister in church, you can trust that what they're saying is true. That they're not exaggerating or, or manipulating through their words, but, but we want to be the, the people of God who speak the truth to one another. And at times we do, praise the Lord. And at times we don't. At times we don't. So it begs the question, why is it a universal temptation for us to speak evil of one another, even if just a small bit? Well, it's, it's a universal temptation to speak evil of one another because we want to look better. We desperately, at times, want to look better in other people's eyes. Why else would we talk down about other people? Because we want to look better in each other's eyes. We're, we're tempted sometimes to denigrate other people even just a little bit so we can just get a, a little advantage in the hearts and minds of other people. Sometimes we can engage in slander or gossip because someone has hurt us. And we just want to bring them down a few notches as we're referencing them to some other people. And, and dear friends, I think we know we're, we're all guilty of having these temptations and yielding to them at times. That's why I'm sharing with you at the start of the sermon, I was sobered this week and helped this week by God as I continue to grow in having God take greater control of my tongue and my heart. I was, I was gripped by speech. And I need the Lord's help. And I think we all together need the Lord's help to help us to say, Lord, my mouth and my heart, I want it to be under submission to your lordship, not be in submission to my purposes, but to your purposes. And, and that's, I believe, what God intends for us this morning as we think about this together. We are, we are really good at rationalizing our speech away. Sometimes we can, it can take forms like, hey, can I, can I share with you um, just a prayer request about person X? I, I heard that, that they X and Y and you fill in the blank. And, and it's possible that at times we can truly share those things because we have a genuine concern about that, that person. It's possible that we can do that. But generally, I would say we want to go to that person directly and communicate our love and concern and talk to them directly about what it is that uh, a question that we might have on our mind as opposed to sitting around and, and telling other people about it. It's possible that we could do that well, but it's also possible that we could do that in such a way our hearts might want to, you know, uh, just put a, a bit of a cloud. So, 
So dear friends, as, as God is building his church, he wants us to really care for the way we speak to one another. Let me, let me use a, a different analogy. So, so God, calls, um, God calls me and my house to be the, the spiritual head of my home. And I try to take that responsibility joyfully because uh, I love my home, but also with sobriety because I'm, I'm responsible until my kids leave the house and perhaps get married and, uh, and go and do their own. Like they're under my, you know, in that sense, my leadership and my headship. And so if I'm in, if I'm seeing in my family and observing that there is gossip or slander among my children where they might be speaking ill of each other behind each other's backs, what kind of father would sit back and say, hey, that's fine. Just go ahead. Share. What kind of father would do that? That would not be a loving father who would not say, son, daughter, no, we're not going to speak that way in our home. We're not going to speak evil against one another. So if, if that's what we would do for our family here and now, do you see what God is doing by giving this word to us this morning? He's caring for the unity of his family. He loves this family. Christ died for this family. And he cares the way that we relate to one another. And the way that we use our words, it matters to God. James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says very simply, do not speak evil against one another. Why is this so important from James' perspective? He, he goes on. He says, look at, at the continuing verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law, which raises a question. Is James saying that we can never form judgments? Is that what James is saying? Let me try to be as clear as possible here. James is not saying that we shouldn't employ careful thinking, even helpful, critical thinking about all kinds of things. We must be discerning. He is not saying you can never have an opinion about the activities or ideas of another. This is really important for us to know because people at times in the history of the church, people at times have used the words of Matthew 7, 1, which are the words of Christ. What are those words? Jesus said himself, judge not that you be not judged. And we can use those words as a basis for calling us to accept behavior that Scripture clearly prohibits. There may be times, in fact, when God may use you, may call you um, to help another person who may be caught in a web of sin. Out of concern for them, we may need to go to someone and ask questions. Brother, sister, I, 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 I'm observing something in in. Your life, and I'm wondering if I'm seeing things clearly. Is this in fact happening? And, and there may be times when God calls you to go out of love to serve another person in that way. 
And that's what an authentic community does. Let me use the analogy of my family again. If, if one of my kids observes in one of the other kids that, that there's some kind of sin going on, it is a loving thing for that, that sibling to go to the other sibling and say, Hey, I could be wrong. I could be missing something here, but, but is this happening? I'm coming because I love you, not because I'm, I'm looking to whack you. I'm coming out of love and care. And that's the spirit in which we may be called. I mean, there, there are lots of scriptures in the New Testament that say that we're to go to an erring brother or sister to seek to what? Restore them, to help them, to walk with them and bring them back. And so we go in love. But notice, notice the rest of what Jesus says in James chapter, excuse me, uh, Matthew chapter 7. When, when he says, judge not that you be not judged, he qualifies it by using this analogy. This will likely be familiar to you. But he says, if you're going to go help someone, well, first, if you're going to go help take the speck out of their eye, first, remove something from your own eye. And what, what does he use there by way of analogy? I mean, he, he talks about a speck in the other eye, and he talks about a log in our own eye. What, what should we infer from that as Jesus uses that analogy? I, I think we should infer from that that so often there is a huge amount of stuff that we need to deal with in our own hearts before we can actually get to take the speck out of our brother's and sister's eyes. So this is, what is this? This is a call to humility, dear friends. It's a call to walk in humility toward one another so that we can remove the log from our own eye before we go to remove the speck from our brother's or our sister's eye. Remember, the verse that immediately precedes verse 11 is verse 10. And verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord. So God is writing for us family rules here. Sometimes when our kids were young, you know, we had to kind of post the rules on the refrigerator for like, okay, here's what we're going to do at the table. Here's not what we're going to do. Um, maybe you have such a post on your wall if you have young children. God is writing the rules of engagement here. Humble ourselves together. Don't speak evil against one another. Because if we're speaking evil or making sinful judgments against our brother, we're doing things. Number two things. Number one, we're sitting in contempt of God's law, right? We're, we're actually in the place of judging God's law and, and we're, we're acting like we're above his law. Uh, the one who speaks, you see it there, verse 11? The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So he's saying rather than humbly submitting to the law, submitting to God's word, we're, we're proudly standing in judgment over it. And so we must not do this. And then second thing we're doing when we judge in that way, sinfully judging, we're setting ourselves up in the place where only God should be. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And then he goes on in verse 12 to say, there's only one judge. There's only one who is capable of rightly making judgments ultimately, and that is God. And so who are we to take our position and say, well, you know, 
That may be true, but I'm pretty good. I have a pretty good uh, sense of things. And I'm going to take up my role as judge and make sinful judgments over other people. That, I think, is a fair um, summary of what these two verses, three verses, are referencing. Let me now move toward a few points of personal and practical application for us in view of these things. And again, God is loving our church to give us these words that can land on us. I mean, this is hard. Uh, You know, our hearts are bare before the Lord. And when we consider our speech, I I don't think any of us in this room can say, hey, I'm going to stand tall on this one. No, we all stumble in various ways. And so what, what do we do together? First thing I believe would please the Lord, and it's from the text, is let us humble ourselves and pay close attention to our hearts. Let us humble ourselves and pay close attention to our hearts. What does that look like? To humble ourselves is to say, Lord, I, I need you. I need you this morning as I interact with people that, that my heart would be pure and clean, that, that I wouldn't say things that even subtly, even in this small way, it seeks to, to put someone else down. Lord, deal with my heart in such a way that, that I would reflect you and your heart. Again, he's writing to the church. This is a reality for us. We have to attend to these things. Let us humble ourselves and ask God, Lord, fill me with yourself again afresh. See, when we sin with our mouths, what does it do? It quenches the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we're not able to be the conduit of grace that God intends us to be uh, using our words to build up. And so, so here are some helpful questions to ask if you're thinking about sharing something that you're not quite sure if you should. I think a question to ask, and this is a humble question to ask, is why am I saying this? Why would I be passing this information along? Why am I saying this? Uh, another question, is the intent of my sharing this um, to love the person that I'm sharing about? Is that my intention? I, am I doing this because I absolutely love this person and I care so much about them? And prayerfully consider that before speaking. You know, I think a good rule of thumb is when in doubt, don't speak. Don't share it. When in doubt, don't share it because... Because if there's doubts in your mind, then there's, there's the likelihood that there may be mixed motivation in our hearts. And so, again, brothers, sisters, I am not speaking down to you. I am right with you in this. This is a hard word, but this is a word that the Lord wants to give us to preserve the unity of the body of Christ. So when in doubt, pray and consider. Number two. Speaking evil is partnering with the enemy. This one is stark, but it's right from the text that precedes us. Look with me at James 4, verse 7. Do you see it? It says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will Flee from you, which infers that the temptation of the devil is always close at hand. 
If, if the, the command of God is to resist the devil and therefore he's going to flee, that means the devil must be there. He's, he's got to be present in order to resist him. And so it means that we resist him vigorously. It means that we say, no, I'm not going to partner with the enemy so that he can commandeer my tongue, the words that are on my mouth. I'm not going to let him commandeer my mouth to, to strike down the church. I'm going to work against the enemy by being committed to speaking the truth in love to my neighbor. See, when we're speaking evil, we're no longer participating in God's work. We're now participating in the work of the enemy, which is to steal and kill and destroy. So speaking evil is partnering with the enemy. And I know that you do not and I do not want to be doing that. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, Paul says to the Ephesians church, but only such that would be beneficial. That would build up and encourage. So speaking evil is partnering with the enemy. And the converse of that is speaking the truth in love is doing what God calls us to do. Number three, speaking evil. This one is particularly sobering to me, but it's helpful to think about it in this way. Speaking evil divides what Christ died to bring together. Speaking evil divides what Christ died to bring together. At the end of the book of Acts, this isn't in my notes and I hope I can find it. Yes, Acts 20. The context is the Apostle Paul is on the shore. He's about ready to get into a ship. And he's gathered with the elders and he's talking to them and he's going to leave them and they'll never see him again. And he's giving them instructions for how to care for the church of God. And this is a, a tear-filled moment. He loves them. They love him. And he's, he's shepherding their hearts. And he says this. Just listen to this. This is the charge of a pastor. But, but I think it, it bears repeating here. He says to these elders, these pastors, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay careful attention to the body, the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. What is he saying to these pastors, these elders, as he's leaving them? He's saying this pay attention. He's not naming the sins of the tongue in this particular passage, though he does in a lot of other ones. But he's saying this. God himself, at the cost of his son, Jesus Christ, purchased and redeemed a body for himself that they might be a people for his own possession, a people of holiness, a people of truthfulness, a people whereby my glory is on display. Pay attention to what's going on in the church because Jesus Christ was the cost for God to redeem those people. 
And if it cost God the blood of his own son to bring us together, if that's what it cost for you and I to be in unity this morning together, if it cost the blood of Jesus Christ, his own dear son, if that's what it cost to bring us together, dear friends, may we not speak in such a way as to divide that which God has brought together. Do you see that? I mean, that's a sobering word. And it's a right word, right? Because this is true. God has purchased us by His sacrifice on the cross in Jesus Christ that we might be born again to a living hope. And He wants us to be hopeful and filled with joy. And yet what can come in? Perhaps, maybe in no greater way, then to destroy the work of God is the power of the tongue. Do you see it? So God is kind to give us this word. God is helping us to preserve something eternal here by giving us this word. He wants us to not partner with the enemy, but partner with himself in building the church of God and encouraging the church of God, which leads us to the fourth thing and final thing. Speaking the truth, dear friends, in love, what does it do? It builds God's kingdom. We reflect, you and I reflect God's image and his character because when he makes us to be born again, we are filled with his Holy Spirit. We now have a new heart and we reflect that new heart that God's given to us by speaking the truth to one another in love. And so we're building something as we're truthful with one another. We're building something when we resist the temptation of gossip and we only speak what is good for building up and fitting for our brothers and sisters. We are building the kingdom of God as we obey this command. Do you see it? It's beautiful. This is God's design to preserve unity in the church. We guard our mouths by the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism. I, I thought this question says it very well. By the way, the Heidelberg Cat is the one that influenced and inspired a lot of the New City Catechism, which, which we uh, regularly speak here. Question, what is the aim of the Ninth Commandment? We went over this already this morning in our New City Catechism. Here's the answer. That I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the devices the devil uses. Now he turns it and speaks to the positive. I should love the truth. Speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. That is so helpful. So helpful. Look at that last sentence alone. I should do I should do what I can to guard 
and advance my neighbor's good name. What is happening right now in the world out there with regard to speech? What what generally, and I'm not trying to be Mr. Negative here, what generally occurs in the world as it relates to speech is the world trying to guard the reputation of one another? Is the world trying to advance uh, somebody else's good name? Is that the way our political process is? Is that the way we relate to one another on Twitter or Instagram or whatever? Are we constantly, as a culture, are we guarding and advancing the good name of somebody else? You know, obviously, a rhetorical question. So... Do you believe that the church's witness is going to shine all the brighter as when people come into the church and they find a countercultural reality where the people within the church are not slandering or tearing down, but in fact, the people of the body are guarding against that. They're actively working to advance the good name of their brother and sister. Do you see how beautiful that is? Do you see how glorious that is God's intention for this body and for everybody in his kingdom? May we, by the grace of God, do whatever we can to guard and to advance our neighbor's good name by using speech that doesn't speak evil to one another, but instead speaks love to one another. So how now are we going to close this time? Um, I want to close us here as I hope the, the Spirit has been ministering to your soul as He has to mind. And I think the best way that we can close our time is to be reminded of a few things. Um, Number one, if the Lord has brought conviction to your heart as you've heard the word of God, then I just want to encourage you to humbly repent and say, Lord, I I admit with you I'm wrong. And, and repent and turn away from sin, sinful speech. And, and that may mean that you, in fact, might need to go to somebody this afternoon and say, hey, you know what, I realize I, I have sinned against you. I'm sorry about that. And I just want to come to you and ask for your forgiveness. It, it could mean that. And I, I pray that you would and I would be open to that in whatever way the Lord might lead us to. So number one, where you feel the conviction of the Lord, let's respond to that and repent and say, Lord, you're right. I fail. I need your help. Please forgive me and please set my speech, set my heart on a path toward pleasing you. And that is the first place to go. And then secondly, I want to remind us of the gospel, dear friends. Uh, The Lord is, is good to bring this word to us because his gospel declares something over us. It says this, that we are sinners all, but for everyone who places their faith and trust in Christ alone to forgive you of your sins, you are fully forgiven. Every last sin, the sin of the tongue, the sin of the body, every last sin has been forgiven. And so the gospel declares over weak people who at times sin with their tongue, 
the gospel declares something this morning. That we are forgiven. That he is gracious. And that he's going to help us as we walk in his likeness in the days to come. So we're going to sing a song. I, I could have chosen, uh, you know, I think there are 411 songs in our arsenal here. I chose a song that specifically puts our focus and our attention on the faithfulness of God. Because when God speaks, it's always true. When God declares something, it always comes to pass. There is no falsehood in him And so as we think about our own lives and how we need him, we are going to declare together with joy that God is faithful, that he is the one that holds us together, that he is our hope and our strength and our shield. So would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts now to respond to the Lord and to sing these truths together? Lord, we acknowledge, as we did at the outset, that, that we have needs, Lord. That we are, in fact, at times, we all struggle with our tongue. We see this universal truth in Scripture that no one is fully able to bridle the tongue. And so everyone in this room together has weakness in this area. And we confess that to you this morning. We confess that we need you to rule and reign in our hearts to such a degree that what comes out of our hearts is speech that doesn't tear down but that builds up. Speech that doesn't sinfully judge our brother or our sister, but speech that encourages and strengthens. And Lord, perhaps where there might be a time when we we go to a brother or sister who, who may be caught in a web of sin and we go to them out of love, May that be redemptive speech, Lord. May that be helpful. Use us, Lord, in the church because we're a family. We are brothers and sisters who care about one another and and love one another. And you died to bring us together, Lord. And we don't want to use our tongue to bring division. So... Lord, as we now look to you, we look to the one who is always faithful. We look to the one who is always true. We look to the one who never speaks lies. And we put all of our trust and all of our hope in him, in Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, Lord... Forgive us when we fail and set us on a course as we behold our beautiful Savior who calls us to himself as we rejoice now in him and in his work in our hearts. Lord, be glorified in us. Unify our church, Lord. It is experiencing unity, but there's greater unity that you want to give us. Unify us by your spirit and use us for your kingdom purposes. We pray this together and we declare in Jesus' name.